You know, the best laid plans. (laughs) Always, Sarah. I got a new planner in December, and you and I sat down. Oh, we planned. In ink. We planned and planned. (laughs) We planned. Listen. January and February. This is why you need to use your black wing pencils for your planner. I never write anything in my planner. Oh, see? See? I do. You're right. Also, because black wings are amazing. They are. Everyone, we have a Blackwing. I think we've talked about Blackwings on the podcast before. Like, I have a ridiculous pencil obsession with Blackwings, and so does Adriana Herrera. So does Kelly. Mm. So does Jen. Yeah. We're uh, we're monthly subscribers. (laughs) Little romances for a pencil the other day. And I was like, okay, but you can use any of the Blackwings except the Blackwing Pearl, because that's my favorite. And he was literally like, what the fuck, lady? Like... (laughs) Oh, but can I show you? I love my black wings so much that I bought oh. an extremely fancy. You like, sure did. Hand Look at that. crank pencil sharpener. Uh, Woo. Pencil sharpener, which we will put links to in show notes. There you go. It is really. I mean, I feel like this is me, like <laughs> peak nerd. <laughs> like, oh, this is. I it. mean, when you feel what it feels like to sharpen a black wing with this pencil sharpener. With this sure. Carl Custom pencil sharpener, oh my God, it really it, it's delightful. Ten months into this goddamn pandemic, whatever brings you joy, just do it. It brings me joy. There you go. Okay. Yes. It's we're it's we're suffering a national trauma, and maybe everybody. If I could send every person who is listening a Blackwind pencil and this pencil sharpener, I think you would all agree. When I think about it, logically, I do think that movie where Tom Hanks, like, ruins Meg Ryan's bookstore is garbage. But the part where they talk about how much they love... You've got mail. Yeah, the part where they talk about how much they love... She loves, like, school supplies. And he says, I would send you a bouquet of sharply... Sharp? Sharply? I would send you a bouquet of newly sharpened pencils if I knew your name and address. Uh, We have a special episode today. Yes. Back in... The before times. Like three weeks ago. The before times. I mean, now everything is a before time. Before our current governmental administration and that before It's true. Yeah. Uh, We recorded a special episode, a very special episode of Faded Tropes, which is what happens when Aaron and Clayton from Learning the Tropes and Jen and Sarah from Faded Mates get together. And you all asked a lot of questions. We answered a lot of questions. Yeah, it was super fun. We drank, I think. Oh, yeah. There was alcohol involved. And um, it was really fun. It's always fun when the four of us get together. It is. It is really fun. So, Jen, tell everybody the schedule so that we're... So- First of all, we're sorry, you guys. Like, it's... I mean... Whatever. Whatever. Okay. We're going to get to it eventually. <laughs> um, okay. Next week is Derek Craven Day on February 4th. So, our regular... Which is Thursday. Which is Thursday. So, we're going to release... A special episode on Thursday that will be Derek Craven adjacent or Derek Craven celebratory or something. It's not going to just be about that book. We're going to think of a... We have some cool ideas, so whatever. And then the following week, we will be back on our bullshit with Naima Simone Black's Out Billionaire series. So see, we told you you had to read three books real fast. And now look, you've had three weeks. So it's fine. No, (laughs) no excuses. You know, Sarah's on deadline. I'm on... My yeah, deathbed. I'm, I'm January not and February for me are always well. And his teacher, January and February hard, and this year is even worse. So we're just going to take care of ourselves in it. Still have content every week, but maybe not the content we promised. I think it's. I'm fine. halfway through the second Blackout Billionaire, the Gideon one. Mm. <laughs> 
Amazing. I am very excited That's about That's basically, it. it's going to be an hour of me going about these books. What a delight. <laughs> So that's our plan. Oh, wait. Can I also shout something out? I'm sorry. I know that we, it was just supposed to be like a quick intro, but here we are. It's now there's like Tom Hanks in it. Um, Tessa Bailey has a new book out this week. Oh, I'm reading it. I don't it. usually do this, but I found it tremendously adorable. It's really so, cute. So um, it's called The Sweetest Fix. It's about a girl, a dancer with Broadway dreams who gets a shot at coming to Broadway to audition for, like, the biggest Broadway producer in the world. She misses her audition and ends up in a, like, rom-com-y kind of, like, misunderstanding with a husky baker. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's delightful. who, like, it's leading into Valentine's Day, and there's, like, a cake pop challenge. It's It's so silly and sweet, and the dirty talk is A+. Hot, fresh Pillsbury Crescents. And the buttery flavor. Buttery. Yeah, they were loaded with buttery flavor. Every one of them. Oh, like, how many every one of them? Three, four, five. Always. I mean, it's Tessa Bailey. So it's called The Sweetest Fix. It's out this week. It's free if you have KU. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't, it's I'm sure worth it's just it. a couple bucks. Yeah, totally worth it. Extremely charming. Well, that's delightful. Yeah, read a, read a soft, delicious book. Yes, absolutely. Enjoy. Okay, so we are about to hear Faded Tropes with me and Sarah and Clayton and Aaron. And we will be back next week with Derek Craven Day on a special Thursday release and the following week with the Blackout Billionaires. So now you know. Faded Tropes 2021. I'm trying to come up with a good name for it. Well, it was Faded Tropes Live, so now it's like Faded Tropes coming at you from a, you know, a few weeks ago. We haven't decided when we're (laughs) releasing this, but... From a few weeks ago. But it looks great. (laughs) The view looks good from here, is the point. Faded Mm. Tropes, the next generation. Tipsy. Tipsy Tropes. Tipsy yeah. tropes. Yeah, because we're all drinking. That's mm-hmm. good to know because I forced Sarah to get a drink because I felt bad drinking forced. by myself. I mean, it was real rough. <laughs> Twist my arm. Yeah. I said, Go Wait, get what are that we all drinking? Right well, at the beginning, maybe. Clayton was like, I'm I'm in the bar. And we were like, what? You're in the bar. And he said, barn. The barn. Yeah, Just... I said barn. But Clayton yeah. from there's barn. alcohol in the barn, too. There is. Yeah, so I had some Irish cream that I've been drinking all week that is 17% alcohol. Uh, it's a lot. And yeah. it's too much. And then since <laughs> I had creamy to... alcohol. Yes. Just, yeah. <laughs> Goes it's down the smooth. It's Four Farms Irish cream. So it's better than Bailey's, everybody. And not too expensive. Well, so if you're looking for see, a good you. Irish cream for like a nightcap or something, it's really great. It's much better than Bailey's. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm drinking a Brooklyn uh, dry hopped sour ale. I love a sour ale. And it is tart, everyone. Mm. It's very tart. All right. What's everyone else drinking? Aaron's got something brown. I'm drinking drinking Pogue's Irish whiskey, which, uh, yeah. You guys, it's not really fancy. I, I like vodka. And I just had some ginger ale. I'm basically drinking spiked ginger ale. Nice. Nice. Great. Good job. It's fine. You're drinking. It's That's a great goose. Want. I mean, it's nice. 
I mean, Grey Goose is fancy. Grey Goose, as far as vodka goes, like, that's a nice tasting mm-hmm. vodka. Yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah. So what we're here to do... Sarah's Sarah not going to... Wait, what about Sarah? I'm drinking oh, hedgehog I'm so wine. Uh, I, <laughs> about six months ago, discovered that from the grocery store that delivers my groceries every week now, because I don't leave the house, uh, I could get a box of rosé that has a hedgehog on it. And so, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to get this box of rosé and just keep it in the fridge. And who knows how long it'll take me to drink a box of rosé. Sadly, it takes me a lot less time now to drink a box of rosé than it did (laughs) six months ago. Yeah. Um, And, but it has a hedgehog on it, so I'm drinking hedgehog wine. Well, there you go. You don't go by the year. You go by the mascot. Yeah. There's also (laughs) one that has like a golden, like a Labrador retriever on the, on the box. I like that less than the hedgehog one. Okay. I straight up drink like boxed box Cabernet Sauvignon or whatever that is from Costco. That's like Kirkland brand. And you know what? It's fine. See, I was one of because those because I just not. I'm like a half a glass of wine. I don't drink yeah. enough to like want to open bottles, so it's perfect. I used to be snooty about this. Like, oh, surely you cannot drink wine from a box. And then, sure, whatever. Quarantine. The hedgehog wine and then 2020 great, happened, guys. and we're all doing things we didn't think we would do. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. Who says nail polish remover can't be a cocktail? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's a terrible, I read this horrible article, actually, the other day. And some, in like, maybe the Post or the Times, and it's basically about all these women who, like, have lost their whole identity now because they're, like, home homeschooling, like, basically running schools out of their kitchen. And it's all about how many of these women have just started, like, fully day drinking, like, just pouring vodka into their coffee cup in the morning, and, like, that's their life now. And it feels like that feels like a real thing that's happening. And if that is happening to you, there are ways for you to get help. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Certainly. That's grim. Anyway, sorry for bringing us all down on that, but it's the end of 2020, and 2021 is looking good. People are getting vaccines. It's going to be great. Um, should, okay, guys, should we do, because we did log on about 50 minutes ago. Oh, boy. <laughs> so should we get started? Yeah, let's do Because we this. do have a bunch of questions left over from our live show that we did that was super duper fun. We did it during quarantine. I don't remember when exactly, though. It was God, in really? the early summer. summer? June, yeah. maybe, right? Uh-huh. June 30th, possibly. Oh, Is that... Is that a thing? Matt would know. That's a day. Six months ago. That's before I started drinking hedgehog wine. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) if you would have asked me when we did that, I would have been like, 1987. It was a good year. We are so young and free. (laughs) Speaking of, so what we're doing here is we're going to take some of the questions that we weren't able to answer during the live stream, and we're going to answer them now with booze added. And we got a question from Sophie who asks, how do you see the contemporary romance authors incorporating or not the pandemic in their next book? Are we going to see a bunch of pandemic stories or are we going to experience a switch to some paranormal romance or other genres? I think both. That's my answer. Both and. Because uh, I think there will be some contemporary writers who... um, Look, the long tail of the the pandemic is a long one. Like, there are, this is a real thing. And so I think what we're going to see is similar to books that kind of use 9-11 in the background or use, like, other things that are, that have sort of impacted the whole world in the background. Um, 
I think that we'll start. I think we will see uh, in the hands of some contemporary writers reference to the pandemic. But I don't think we're going to see that many stories that are like pan, like, like everyone's romances, wearing their yeah. masks, like keeping six feet right. apart. And I think part of that is because of the fantasy of romance, which is you want it to be even a contemporary. You want it to feel fantastical in some way where it all feels just a little bit magical. Love feels magical. And so it feels like in contemporaries, at least... Um, for most, I would think most contemporaries will probably like elide the pandemic. Yeah, I agree. I think here's the other thing. I think um, now with the six, I think a lot of people were like, will historical or paranormal get really big? And it kind of felt like it go either way. But I honestly think now with Bridgerton, we're going to see a huge, huge like swing back to historical. Let it be done. I know. I was like, Sarah. <laughs> I think this is going to work out for Call you. your friends at HBO, no, I do. everyone. <laughs> I, I really do. So I think I think that, um, and I think the other thing we were talking about is uh, paranormal. We see a lot of people getting deals to write books about witches, mm. which are perhaps going to be very, like, um, centered on women and, like, women in paranormals as opposed to, like, shifter romances are often, like, about, like, men. So I also think maybe there'll be a shift to, like, focusing focusing more on like women because we've talked before we started recording about how many women are being impacted right by this whole thing so i think we're going to see a restructuring in contemporary of the way women's roles are working regardless of whether or not like regardless of the pairing you know i just think women are going to be like different on page in contemporaries because of this Wow. So, I mean, yeah. I, I I kind of agree that I don't think we're going to see a lot of people wanting to revisit the actual pandemic. Yeah. Even though what I've learned reading romances is that romances don't necessarily have, it doesn't have to be everything is good. There can be bad things that happen in romances. I think the thing with the bad thing is that it ends well. It ends in love, which is what we all want our lives to end in, hopefully. And so I think that was one of the things, becoming a romance reader, that I realized is that I used to shy away from books that had bad things in them because I thought, well, that's not romance. That's not fantasy. But the fantasy is overcoming things that are bad. Right. But I do think, saying that, nobody wants to read about two people stuck in a place right now. They want people who are out and about doing fun things that they remember doing or hopefully want to do again. So it, I think it's more going to be the emotional and mental fallout from it that we're going to see, and maybe not even consciously. I think subconsciously or unconsciously we're going to see romance contemporaries being influenced by what we all went through. So that I don't think it's going to be a lot of, they're stuck in this place because of a disease. Right. It'll be... Right. Here's what I dealt with previously that we all dealt with, and this is how we're all coping and finding love afterwards. Right. Yeah. Um, I was in a. I. I don't want to interrupt, Aaron, but I was to like Clayton's point. One of the things I realized the other day is I was like, some of the books I've loved best this year have been road trip romances, 
And I was like, that's because people are fucking out doing things. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I was like, a lot of the ones I've read, even if they didn't come out this year, like I was reading Nighthawk by Beverly Jenkins, where like, you know, like their their trip is supposed to end and it keeps on going. And I was like, it's so compelling. <laughs> and then I was like, oh. Look at these people being able to move to a different space. Can you imagine? Um, no, I agree too. Well, and I think also probably just like the kind of heroes we'll see will change as well. I think, you know, now with, there's so much of this, like some people doing the right thing and some people doing the wrong thing. And I think sort of people who are more caring about the group or something like that, I think that those will be heroes that we also start seeing more, um, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if we'll see more doctors on page. Mm. I don't know. I can't, I can't say this for sure. I don't think I know anybody who's writing a doctor right now, but like it feels like there's some space for for how we rethink heroes, especially in light of what else went down in 2020. Like, I think I wonder how we're going to see police officers look different on the page or doctors look, you know, more doctors or, you know, a shift Romance has always been reflective of what's going on in the in the world. Um, and sometimes that's not overt, right? Like, sometimes it just, it's, you know, we billionaires become popular. Fifty Shades of Grey is popular because we're in a recession. Like, it, it makes sense, but it's not a lot. It's not necessarily the immediate thing that you expect to come from this. Or, you know, paranormal rising after 9-11, like... These kinds of things make sense now that you can look at it in in hindsight, but I'm not sure anybody at the time was saying like, oh, yeah, vampires are a direct result of. So it'll be interesting, but I do think we're about to enter like a new generation of romance. Jen and I talk a lot about. Yeah. The generations. Yeah, I think billionaires might be done for a while. I think so. Yeah, I think I think rich entitled like idol heroes are well i i mean maybe not but i think that it's they've been sort of quietly disappearing over the last few years so see that was my kind of not to uh, sidetrack us because we'll get to another question but uh, watching the bridgerton series there was a little bit of me where i'm like all these people do is sit around and eat sweets all day. I don't, I'm like not into this right now because I'm waiting to see what this stimulus check is going to be. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm like 600 bucks. That's it. And then they're eating like profiteroles, like by the dozen or the truckload. And I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? Uh, I do, but I did yeah. enjoy it, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I also think that the, the thing about Bridgerton that is so interesting is is that the books really landed so perfectly at a time when that hero resonated so well coming off of, you know, a generation of, of heroes who had were, you know, in the wake of Vietnam and, and other kind of economic issues like this idea, they were sort of the billionaire heroes of a generation, but that was 20 Mm -hmm. years ago. So it's interesting to see because I think um, in the show, and I haven't finished watching it, I'm only four episodes in, but in the show, like, there are so many men who have, like, Benedict is so clearly, like, has a passion, right? And there's something really compelling about that. Um, So, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. And I think that's one of the things that the 
the show is really landing in a different way. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes in the show so far is when Eloise um, goes into a, like one of the servants' room and is like, "Are yeah. you?" And the woman is like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> Like, I have so much work to do. You think I have time for this? And if you think I was Lady Whistledown, I'd still be doing this stupid fucking job? I mean, okay, that's a lot of... There's not all those fucking... But I thought that was a really... Like, this is... This was obviously not in the original text, right? This is part of the adaptation. And I think that that's, you know... So I think some of the... Some of those things have been... I think giving voice to to what Clayton yeah. is talking about as we watch it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think we'll also we'll see different historicals. Like I agree, I think there's going to be more, but I do think they are gonna be more diverse. And yeah, I think the heroes are gonna be very different as well. Uh, and the heroines and sort of how they relate to the world around them. And it won't be sort of just these ballrooms and drawing rooms. Um let's do another question. Why is there so much shame surrounding romance? I feel like we all have answered that at different yeah, times. We've talked about we could, that a lot. Yeah. Patriarchy. The patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> I will be really curious to see, um, and I'm excited for Bridgerton to bring new readers to romance. And so, you know, let's hope that, um, you know, new readers are going to be looking for new and different things. And so I think there's like a real possibility that, um, they're not going to feel shame if what brings you into romance is a show that a lot of people watched and everybody was talking about. Maybe that will be a different experience coming into the genre. So I think it'll be really interesting to just um, see how that lands. And just to like not to be the mercenary, sound like a mercenary guy, but once these properties start making people boatloads of money... That shame goes away very quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? And if that yeah, benefits the people who have been writing wonderful stories... And reading them. For, yeah. And, and yeah. for decades, mm-hmm. then that is all the better. So sometimes those things are not of the best intentions, but they can have good reverberations. Yeah. I mean, you can so all... if Sarah's book starts selling... Uh, like way, way more, that's all the better, right? Yeah. yeah. And if she wants to take us all on a vacation, like we'll go. I mean, you're After invited. Um, no, but you can already <laughs> see it. It's a, a you, I mean, I, I don't even know. It, it's the week between Christmas and New Year's and who knows what day it is. But, um, you know, Bridgerton has been out for however long, less than a week. And um, and already you can see contemporary readers who are like, I've never, I've always been afraid of historicals. Like, where do I start? Um, that's the thing mm. that historical authors get a lot is like, oh, I don't read historicals because I'm, a, I think a lot of readers are afraid that it's going to feel like school when they come and read interesting. historicals. Oh, interesting. Like it's, they didn't like history uh, because some teacher taught them wrong. And so they, you know. They don't. They think that our books are just going to be boring, like history. Um, and so I think Bridgerton is doing that for readers. And I think also, like the, it's a long reach. Like Jen's brother, who is not a romance reader at all, is watching it. Yeah, my brother Eric is watching Bridgerton. He was like, "It's really fun," and I was like, "Okay, everyone's watching it, you guys." I mean, we have primed <laughs> Eric because we explained to Eric that sure. Jurgen Klopp um, is actually like a big daddy. Yes. And so, <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. And so he knows he's get he's warmed yeah. to the idea that romance is everywhere. Yeah, sure, sure. 
Well, and he loved normal people. He was the one who told me that I had to watch normal people. So, Oh, there's a question about normal people. Yeah. Let's get to that in one sec. But the one thing I just want to say is that I was a person who was afraid of Regency because I thought it was going to be boring. And Regency is my favorite genre of romance. Hands down, if I was... uh, the running the show and and Aaron wasn't so adventurous. I would read only Regency, I believe. But I think we try to push ourselves to do more, and we found a lot of stuff to love. But I think also then to be honest, like if we had our druthers, like we would just be reading Regency. You'd be all like the time. riding Le- the Lisa Claypass train nonstop. Yes, I, I, we would I, be I, reading an insane amount of Claypass. Well, not just Regency. I think like I love any historical. I love westerns. I love Victorian. Yes. Like, yeah, you're right. Put Western's a woman good. in a dress, and I'm showing up. Yeah, I love right. it. <laughs> right, but you. I think that the podcast would also be pretty boring. I think if it was just historical. I don't want to say that because if there are podcasts that are just historicals, but I think, you know, we want to sort of read the genre and the genre is more than historical. I think ours would be. I think uh, I think we could say that ours would be not as exciting if there wasn't the occasional book where I almost vomit because an alien has green jizz. That (laughs) you've never gotten over that applesauce jizz. But I think also um, we've we've read a few uh, historicals in a row. You will say to me, let's switch it up. Well, Clayton always says to me, let's do a weird one. Yeah, let's get nuts. Let's, I said, you want to get nuts? Well, let's now, get nuts. what That's do you, what I, I mean, I'm so curious to see where you go from Bridgerton because you've done a lot. I mean, you guys probably are the, I've been texting Aaron about the series because you are the people I know who have read it most recently. So it's going to be weird because we've lived with these, these characters for months. Yeah. We did our last recap of the show, and it was really odd. Like, we didn't want to end the show because I was just sort of like, it feels weird that it's we've been talking and thinking about this for so long, and now it's like, and that's it. That's all we have to say. I mean, more is coming or has come, depending on when this podcast comes out. But Well, there was, Jen mentioned normal people, so there is a question about normal people. So go ahead and read it. Yeah, let me find it. I found it. Read it, please. From Clista, have you watched Normal People? Have you read the book? I haven't read Normal People. I haven't read the book. I don't know anything about it. I will not read it because quotation marks are my kink. I've been trying to frame that in a positive way. <laughs> I, I, I find the literary pretension of not using this one single punctuation mark to be just ridiculous and literally will will like when i get books that have well i i so i refuse to buy books that have no quotation marks and i will very rarely read them um i just am like get over your fucking self like you just decided this one punctuation mark isn't for you okay well your book is not for me this just took a turn away from the positive just fyi i know i'm sorry (laughs) it's really hard for me to frame it positively i have very strong (laughs) negative feelings about it i just cannot stand it especially because they use every other convention of like you know so it'll be like so and so said comma and then it's like some words but i'm like so anyway i won't i won't read that book um i am watching the show is anyone else watching the show? I, I watched it. 
You watched it? I am my, so Eric, my brother, was like, you should really watch it. And he loved it. And I have watched seven, I think there's what, 12 episodes? I've watched seven. And it is, I'm really enjoying it. I think it is, so it's very sparse. Like, there's not a lot of dialogue. But the actors are amazing. And you just, you can read every feeling they're having like right on their face and so i'm really enjoying i'm really enjoying it a lot and then i stopped to start watching bridgerton but it is my goal to sort of return to it it's really heartbreaking like i just watched the scene where they sort of kind of like realize that they kind of broke up without meaning to and it was like i mean it was wrenching it really was so it's i think it's great um, I edited a podcast where people watched it and talked about it, so it's like I watched it. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. And it sounded good, and it sounded like there was a lot of nudity in it, male and female. Yeah. So that's there good. There is though. a lot of way, and you know what's really interesting? So watching it, have you, have you, you've watched both two, Aaron Bridgerton and yeah. Normal People? There's a lot of sex in both, and it's weird because I don't watch tons of TV, and I'm like, God, there's so much sex in TV now, and there's, like, no sex in movies, and I actually was like, why is that? But I guess it's because if you want to sell your movies to, you know, other countries, they have, like, stricter laws about what you can show or whatever. Yeah. I was you just going to say, it's mostly it's mostly because a movie in China, if it's got yeah. a lot of nudity in it, will not play. So you've got to make sure. That's why all the Marvel movies sure. are completely sexless, even though right. they have some of the most beautiful people <laughs> I know. in the I world. Know. They And I'm not saying sexless in the sense that we no, don't they're... need to see their genitals, but they don't seem to be attracted sexually right. to each other in any way. Right. Like, they're fr- those are movies just about friendship, for sure. Yeah. Which is still really satisfying, and I love them. But I, I did not know that that's kind of what it was. But normal people's, um, they're very young. I mean, they're in high school when they start their, like, love affair. And um, I was like, I feel kind of like a dirty old lady watching this. But <laughs> I think it's really, I think it's really beautiful. And I think... Um, the thing my brother and I have talked about with that is it really captures something that in romance, sometimes people say this thing like, why don't people just talk to each other? And you're like, because people don't talk to each other. <laughs> and this show really captures how easy it is to like feel like you're saying something and then just like misunderstand and then kind of walk away. And, and that part, I think, feels really well done. It's really beautiful. Did you like it, Erin? I liked it. I think I came around to it. I think my thing that is difficult and that I do find frustrating occasionally about adaptations is obviously characters, like an actor isn't going to look exactly like the way that an author describes somebody because that's like too much to ask. But I Mm -hmm. feel like the thing about normal people was... It was hard for me at the beginning because she's supposed to be this outcast and really looked down upon. And when he starts a relationship with her, he's a bit ashamed of it and all this stuff. And I think that plays if you hire somebody who's like not traditionally attractive or you give her like zits or greasy hair or something or something that is like saying like, okay, I get why teenagers would not be into this. But when you hire like one of the most beautiful women in the world to do it, I'm kind of like, I don't get why he would be ashamed of being with this woman who is very, very beautiful. And... I get that there should be, like, a glow-up and everything, but I just felt like 
it lost something there in the beginning because it's it's about a woman who's who's very wealthy and is ashamed of being very wealthy, which I think is interesting. It's just a different story. And so yeah. I, that was fresh and nothing against um whatever that actor's name, because like you said, like she's a brilliant actress and she does a fantastic job. But I think that was hard for me to overcome in the beginning. But ultimately, no, I really did joy. It. It's like beautifully shot and it's a it's a beautiful movie. And I always meant to read Sally Rooney and I just haven't. I think because I've been reading a book a week for a podcast for the past <laughs> well, two yeah. years. So I don't there have a ton go. of free time, but um, yeah, I would read it. I'm not as, um, I'm not as big that's of okay. a punctuation. That's stand. why I put it as my, yeah. like that's quotation marks are my kink, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, you, that's, that's not my kink. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody have a, another, another question? I like this one. What subgenre were you most surprised that you liked? What are your two most favorite subgenres? Well, I'll 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 just go real fast because I'll be honest with you, historical regency. When I first started reading romances, I was I'm not going to like this because I think it's going to be history. I think it's going to be boring, and now it's my favorite. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. I don't watch a lot of historical stuff, uh, films or television shows, when I see like that's the thing for me when I see dresses. I run away. Like I don't. I don't need corsets. I don't want that stuff. But reading it, I love it. It's my favorite. And then I think I'll have to say Empreg for the one, the other one that I was surprised that I liked. <laughs> At least the Letta Blake's slow heat. Mm-hmm. Well, already then. Cool. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say I came very late to paranormal, like super duper late. Uh, and then I had a podcast about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, my first paranormal series was uh, Black Dagger Brotherhood, and I read them when I was plotting the Casino series. So it was 2010, 2011. Um, and everybody had said, oh, Sarah, you should read Paranormal. And I just never got around to it because it just wasn't my thing. I didn't think it was my thing. Um, and then I started really seeing that where, like, Paranormal was where reader writers were really taking huge huge risks and um so and that's always anybody who listens to faded mates knows that like that's all i care about i don't care if you succeed at it i'd rather i'd rather read a book that is a failure but takes risks than one that is like absolutely technically perfect and is you know just what everybody wants so um that's why. So I came to paranormal through that. And then, um, and so I think now, I don't know. I don't know that I have a second. I don't, I don't know. I, I love romance novels. So I don't know if there's kissing it, I'm <laughs> right. going to read it. So, but paranormal <laughs> was, I came to it late and I was really surprised by how much I loved it. Yeah. I think for me, because when I was just reading on my own, Before the podcast, I was reading like mostly all historicals and then every once in a while a contemporary would jump in. But it's the same. I never was very interested in anything other than that. I mean, I would say I was dreading reading the MPREG. Somebody emailed us to do it and I was like, I don't want to. Clayton and Pat wanted us to do it. So I was like, (laughs) fine. And I was blown away by that book. Like, I think that book is is truly fantastic and more people should read it. I think it's it's really good. Slow Heat by Letta Blake. It should Um, be taught in schools. It should be taught in schools. (laughs) Yep. Famously. Um, So I think that one was one that surprised me. I mean, my two most favorite subgenres, it's 
it's still historical. I still love them. That's still like my catnip. When I have time to read by myself, that's what I'm reading. Um, and then my other subgenre, but the contemporaries, I guess, just... I feel like I'm about to admit like a real guilty secret is that I have a kind of fondness for a motorcycle club romance. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing wrong and with that. That's fun. Uh, they, you know what? I feel like it's it really taps into that like the loner mystique, which I think can be really, um, which re- you know, really great. I'm also like whatever they're rolling around on like basically moving vibrators. So I'm trying to convince myself that that's really what it's about. Um, so I don't read that many of them, but I really liked that Joanna Wilde series, the like Reapers MC series. You know what? I, I would say the ones though, here's the thing that I'll say about them though. Sometimes there are people who want to make them like secretly good guys who are like saving orphans. And I don't read those. Like, I'm just like, come on, that's ridiculous. <laughs> right? Like the whole point is that's not. So I will read, I will read those every, I mean, it's not like a steady part of my romance reading diet, but I, I do enjoy them. Um, I would say for me, it's, yeah, I mean, I really also kind of read everything, so it's harder to say, but I, so I guess I'll just answer with that one. Like, I have a fondness for motorcycle club romance, and that would, politically speaking, feels like I shouldn't. Sure. Oh, but, but see, that's the way you can get your jollies from sure. fiction where it's not, you're not supporting right. your local motorcycle club. <laughs> you're not right. going sure. out and sure. giving them money so they can have their rallies and stuff, you know? Like, right. you're just right. reading about them in a book, which is good. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I've, I actually have a question for everybody that's not one of these questions. Just because I've noticed this in movies and, and things lately and it's been an interesting change, and I want to know kind of how everybody feels about it, where I've noticed a lot, and this might not be romance-centric, but a lot of things that I'm seeing now, you have villains, and the villains, when they kill people, are only killing morally bad people. Mm, and mine. I think that's an interesting change in the way that narratives and stories have evolved where nor- back in the day, you had villains killing innocent people or people that weren't bad so that we could root against the villain, where now you have villains killing bad people or morally reprehensible people, and then you're still supposed to be rooting against them because they're killing people. So it's a very interesting change, and I don't know, I mean, honestly, we can cut this out if it doesn't really pertain to romance or no one's interested in this question, but it's just, I I like, just talking to maybe Sarah about this, what is your thought on something like that? Like, is is that a, have you noticed, has anybody else noticed this, or is it just me? I think that uh, there are a lot of romances that have heroes who kill decent people, including, like, lots of paranormals, right? You know, you think about Lothair or um, Mr. Vivisection, I can never remember his name, Declan Chase in uh, Immortals After Dark. Um, I wrote my most recent hero, killed people who didn't, like, was responsible for the death of people who did not have, who were decent people. Um, And so that's kind of a morality chain, story where the heroes I mean we see this in mafia romances in motorcycle clubs like or like assassins yeah like right. people hit their you know hitman books um 
John Wick, right? Yeah. And so I think in romance, there is a kind of possibility for writers to write villains who are villainous. You know, I think about, um, you know, Kleypas's Sebastian St. Vincent, right? Who obviously mm-hmm. doesn't kill anybody, but, like, he fully intends to rape Lillian and, like, force her to marry him um, in the book prior to his. Like, these are, this is not an uncommon hero right. trope. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think there's that, right? And now, but now I think... <laughs> The bigger question is why romance readers are sort of conditioned to instantly sort of see that villain and go, oh, him. Future hero. Right. right? And so there and there's something there about breaking down patriarchy and like re, you know, rebuilding masculinity without toxicity, which I think is fascinating. And like, basically, I wrote a whole book about it. I wrote a whole series about it. So um, that's something I'm very interested in. But I do think also villains in romance take away from the love story like true villains villains one note villains like you would find in a in a mystery or a thriller or a you know i don't know in an in an avengers movie right right yeah and you don't want anything in there gumming up the works on the love story so everybody's uh, in play. Right. So if if the villain is going to become the hero, they have to be nuanced enough for us to believe it. If the villain is just the bad guy that's going to be vanquished, then they've got to be honestly flat enough to not take away from, I mean, in a romance. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that's really hard because you don't want to write a flat character, right? Right. Yes. And so, right. and the problem is, is that if you start to add layers in, because, I mean, and this is true about all media, you know, you you guys are, are movie buffs, and when you look at, like, the films that came out in the 40s and 50s, like, the characters feel cartoonish in so many ways, because it feels like, you know, they're generally, like, we're not looking at characters who are as, like, we like characters who are more complex now, I think, in really interesting and we like movies we like stories that tell right. a story where absolutely every character could potentially be right complex um but i also think i think i i feel like we as people also need to do a lot of soul searching about like the anti-hero yeah. kind of redemption arc because like right now like i where's that getting us like as a society I mean, I look at, like, Mitch McConnell and Jeff Bezos or whatever, yeah. and I'm like, it's, that's evil. I'm sorry. Right? That like, feels that, more evil in some way than, like, Yes, more evil. Absolutely. Like, well, and I think that's kind of weirdly, I mean, obviously always been the case, mm-hmm. right? Like, we demonize people who are, like, street-level thieves, but we are like, oh, no, you're a captain of industry. You're a senator. And I feel like... It's just really extreme right now. Well, I think, and this is not a romance uh, character, but I think me and Aaron have really loved Ted Lasso. Oh, uh, yeah. Which oh, is yeah. a TV show. Darling. We all, right? We all just swoon. So good, yes. <laughs> because that's a male yeah. who is in a male-dominated field, and he is a oh, football, so- you know, he, he was a football coach. Now he's a soccer coach. He's a masculine guy who hangs out with other guys, but he is masculine without being toxic. Mm -hmm. 
He is caring. He is a human. And he is somebody who is always trying to do the right thing. And that is a character that stands out so starkly from your Tony Sopranos, from your... Uh, you know, Breaking Bad, whatever. These, All these people that have become what we look at as a hero now in television. And so the movement towards that, I think, is really positive. And that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see more men who are able to... And, and I, I, I don't want to be stereotypical as to what a men's interest is, right? But just to be very, like, no, yeah. stereotypical... When you think of a football coach, you're not thinking of a sensitive guy. No. Right. You're not thinking of a family man. You're not thinking of a loving man. And I think that it's it, it's nice if we can now start thinking that that is a possibility and more people can model themselves in that way. You know what I have been thinking about a lot related to Ted Lasso is um, would it land the same way if it were American? Oh. That's a, the fact that like if he were, uh, right. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it would, how it would switch. If you were a baseball coach that were then hired as a football coach, right? Mm-hmm. And he had to, and he had the same personality, but among American sort of all the ma- culture, all the American yeah. masculinity issues that come into play. Because I think part of the reason why it works is because he's fish out of water in a culture that isn't quite so. I don't know. Cowboy, yeah, it's like everybody Lone the, the cowboy is well, right back to the Maverick, right? The Lone Ranger, yeah. right? And so I exactly. think it's just oh, I love that show so much for so many reasons. Um, I, mm-hmm. I mean, Roy Kent, I think, is perfect, and like, yes. that Roy Kent is like masculinity being like fucked with, and I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, when it's I'm, a great yeah. show. A scene I think about a lot in that show is the one kind of between the two coaches where Ted's like, I'm not going to pull Roy. Mm-hmm. And the the other coach, I forget his name, is like, they're not kids. Like, this is now paid. Like, you mm-hmm. cannot now do that. Like, but, you know, and I just think, like, that tension is so well portrayed in that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing. That show's amazing. And, like, yeah. new, so, like, think- complicated female character. Like... Oh, yeah. Great. Yes, the fact that she is somebody who is doing... A bad thing and deceiving a good man, but she's doing it for a reason that we can all get behind. And that is the yeah. nuance that exists in that show and exists in people. And beautiful yeah. woman of age. Yeah. I, mean, like, I mean, that's fantastic. Well, and also multiple women interacting in the ways that women actually interact. Yeah. Where right. it's like you don't right. meet another woman and you're like, how can I take her down? No. Most right. of the time you're like, let's just be friends and go have like martinis, you know? Yeah. But that's what right. I think it's- is so good about that show is every character is a good person and I think that's so much harder to do than like this person's evil or this person's snarky it's like continuing to have conflict with everybody doing the best that they can Mm -hmm. is what's interesting and it is what's new I went to a talk virtually of course um with the guy who plays Roy Kent who's actually one of the writers on the show and um what's his name the showrunner Bill something Bill. Bill Lawrence. 
Bill Lawrence. And it was interesting because they were talking about the show and they were talking about how they're like sensitive people and they're good people and how Bill Lawrence keeps getting all these calls to like, do you have any other Ted Lasso shows? Like, I, apparently that's all people want pitched to them is just like shows about good people, <laughs> which makes sense. And maybe that sort of is going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of like, where where's the tide going? Yeah. Could be towards more just good people trying their best, you know? Should we do another question? <laughs> Yes. All right. Um, so something about sex. <laughs> something about sex. Okay. No. Well, there's a re- there's a sense. request question that I will answer quickly. If yes, yeah, um, do it. So there is a from the book refuge. Do you have any femme dom recommendations? I just read the Devil's Submission and the Duke I Tempted, and I fucking cried both times. <laughs> <laughs> And Jen will tell you that uh, alpha submissives do not exist, but I will tell you that Jen is a liar. And um, because this is my, I support you. My Sarah. favorite. <laughs> this is my favorite kind of hero. And so I'm just gonna blow through. Like I just wrote a list while you were all talking of the the books I'm gonna recommend. <laughs> so Joey Hill's Natural Law. That's a contemporary, and it's like intense. He really likes to be tied up. Like there's there's. Um, discipline in that one and it's great um but if you like the duke i tempted you'll you'll be fine with natural law um <laughs> audra north's giving it up which is um an erotic the hero is this like incredibly tightly laced um police detective and the heroine is a photographer and she's photographing a wedding and he is the best man at this wedding and they get sort of stuck in a moment where it becomes clear that he is a natural submissive and um, she like has dom tendencies but neither of them have explored them at all and so like they have this like intense like hot fiery moment of realizing that like they have one they like have a kink and two the other person can help them explore it which is really a fascinating way to write an erotica like the sex is so much a part of the relationship it's great um tessa bailey's for a sort of like quieter (laughs) quieter (laughs) femdom book um but also (laughs) bananas hot because tessa bailey is bananas hot um her asking for trouble is a little bit like that's not their like whole identity sexually but like he's he kind of lets her tie him up and like explore um and then charlotte stein wrote a book called addicted and then um my but the the best sort of representation and jen and i are about to do an episode on it a deep dive episode on it but i think the best representation of this um relationship the dominant submissive relationship is that i've ever read is in alexis hall's for real which is not femdom it's male male um dominant submissive but it is again the sort of the identity piece is so wrapped up in this story of like how do you uh, what happens when you know you are dominant or submissive like how do you learn to live this life and like live your truth so that's alexis hall's for real and then um i wrote a book called brazen and the beast and you might like that too nice (laughs) see look at you so real quick, just about Brazen the Beast, Vulture did a list of books to read after you uh, watch Bridgerton. Yes. And I was, and they had, you know, they had some great uh, authors on there. It was a great list. 
But I was scrolling this list, and I said, God damn it, if Sarah McLean's not on this list, I'm going to flip the fuck out. There I was. And yeah. they waited to the table. very bottom. Last. last on the last. list. <laughs> best for last. Save the best for Saving last. Best for last. Vanessa Williams. And the Brazen and the Beast, I believe, was on that yes, list, correct? That's correct. And I was very excited. And people should be yeah, that. Book. If you like boxing, Brazen and the Beast. If sure. you like the boxing from Bridgerton, Brazen and the Beast should scratch an itch for you. But also, but also the okay. no good Duke. Duke guy, it, yeah, I mean, I, no good Duke, right? Look, here's I mean, the, God's honest truth. Nobody loves a boxer the way I love a boxer. So, like, there. I mean, everybody's <laughs> fucking and fighting in all my books. So, pay, take your That's pick. Right. It's like, yeah. I actually, I'm going to tell everybody because I want to make Sarah do it. At one point, she was kind of like, what's a story? Like, if I was going to write a story for, like, the people who are in my, you know, I don't remember. Like, the people who read my newsletter, what would it be? And I was like, okay. I was like, (laughs) I would like a lady up in the gallery getting together with one of the boxers down on the floor. Yeah. And we, like, yeah. I was like, that's what I want. All right. Sold. I thought you were going to say a lady up in the gallery getting it on while she watches the boxer on the floor. And I was like, that works I, don't, too. I, don't, I don't hate it. Also fine, too. Any of Let's those, be honest. Any of that's those probably in one of them. Already. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like. Oh, is it? I'm I don't know. With the casino but series. But that could make it into I'm, Hell's Bells. The reality is, yeah. uh, Clayton, Hell's Bells 1 begins in a labyrinth. Just for you, oh. my friend. Just for you. Speaking my language. Oh, nice. So. Nice. Love a labyrinth. Oh, I can't wait to read this book written especially for Clayton. <laughs> I love that you take requests. There Sarah. is a thing that it, Clayton has requested that is not in this book, but will come later. Yeah. Oh. It's hard to do. I mean, Clayton's main fetish is tough. Well, I mean, I, I want to do it, but like this particular book, it doesn't work in this book. That's not, it's it. not and destined to be in this book. I don't have to say it. Everybody knows Every, it. It's fine. Just listen to an old episode. Any any old episode. episode. (laughs) I mean, listen to Dreaming of You, and then that's sort of when it was discovered. Yes. Okay. Um, I have a question for you guys from Hannah. For everyone but Sarah. It's okay, Hannah. (laughs) Um, If you were to write a romance, what would you name your hero and heroine? Or hero or heroine, I should say. I always loved the name Claire. So my heroine's going to be named Claire. And, like, my hero is definitely going to have a name, like a name is destiny name. Hawk Big Nuts. Hawk Big Nuts. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I, I have no idea. I opposed to Hawk Big Nuts. It's an MC romance. Come on. That's his road name. No, I don't know. I mean, um, it started Claire, okay. Like, yeah, got it. I don't think naming people would be very hard. My husband and I had a really long process to name our child, and I don't think I don't know how people do it, naming characters and books all the time. What? That's true. I you mean, a child seems like it would be a bigger stuff, responsibility so. than a kid. Yeah, but see, a kid... <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> but a kid doesn't have to move units. You, you know what I'm saying? say their name so yeah, many times. I mean, move units out of my wallet, but yeah. not, exactly. not the same way. They're moving units in the wrong direction, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, people forget that I actually have written a romance. It's called Grind and Bear It, and the <laughs> name of the her- hero was Griff Kodiak. Griff Kodiak. Uh, so I that- mean... Which is a great It is name. a great name. Name is Destiny. You are like, I've done it. <laughs> I wrote it in my head. It's a full book in my head. <laughs> That's all that matters. Does the heroine have a name in that book? 
<laughs> she does. Let me let me uh, let me check my ebook copy uh, that I have <laughs> <laughs> on file. Somebody vamp while I look this up. I always really like hero names that feel like names I've never like met anybody in real life that has that name, like Caleb. You know? Yeah. Oh, mm. I'm writing a Caleb right now. Yeah, that's my boss's name. I mean, Caleb, I'm sure you're a lovely person. But my Caleb is like seven feet tall and wide as a house. So. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think the natural next question to this, Sarah, this isn't one that somebody asked, but like, how do you name your characters? I name my characters using this trusty map that sits next to my desk. Um, all my character names, well, heroes, at least, um, their last, all character last names come, are streets that you can find in London. Um, That's a fun fact. I didn't know that. Or they are um, houses. Many of the titles, many, many of the hero titles are the names of houses where people live on Smith College's campus. I'm a Smith College alum. And so there's like a Talbot house and a Lamont house and a a Chase house and like, you know, whatever. Haven. There's a Haven house. See, um, and there you go. so you can, you know, find find all of my heroes there. And then first names, I don't know. I I usually don't name my characters right away, so um, uh, first names are always harder for me. And usually, yeah, with boys, it's always about like they have to with with heroes. They have to be like super strong, like in like real dude names for me to really get behind yeah. them. And then, but like Caleb is an American, right? So like his name is Caleb Calhoun because it was like, what's the most American? He's an old character. Like he's a character from multiple books ago. I didn't know he was going to get his own story. Um, And I was like, I need a real American name. And my friend Louisa White was like, Caleb Calhoun. And I was like, perfect. (laughs) That's a great one. Yeah. um, So just real quick, the heroine's name is Samantha Kors. Uh, spelled like the beer. I was going to say, like Coors Light. C-O-O-R-S, like uh-huh. Coors Light. Yes. And then, you know, how I how I name my heroes and uh, heroines normally is the heroes are named after Axe body spray scents. Yes. Kodiak. Um, yeah. Sure. So, Griff, uh, that's Griff very... Kodiak. <laughs> and then the women are named after energy drinks. Uh, funny like enough. Like Coors. Yeah. <laughs> or beers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, but isn't Coors Just... like from the ice cold mountains of such and such and such and such? That works out. Yeah, yeah. The Rockies. The Rockies. Yeah, the, the Rockies. Taste of the Rockies. the Rockies. Cheap beers or energy drinks. Sure. Stay tuned for. Listen, it's a method. It's good. James Heineken and <laughs> <laughs> uh, Geraldine Yingling. Yeah, no, it's Ger- Geraldine. <laughs> Such a great. I dare Geraldine someone... Yingling. Come on, <laughs> that's a great name. That's a free name. Anyone Yingling wants to put a Geraldine Yingling. Give it, give it away, Jen, right now to anybody who wants it. I'm sorry, everybody. Anybody who wants it. I went to school in Philadelphia, and then here's, like, a true story. Like, ten years later, I was back in Philadelphia, and I was at a bar, and I was like, I just want a yingling. And the guy's like, hey, we have to tap a new keg. Can you wait? Um, we can do something else for you. And I was literally like, I've been waiting ten years for this yingling. I'm going to wait for you to tap that fucking keg. And it's you got fine. the first yeah. one right out the top. It was cool. delicious. Nice it was great. Changed my life. <laughs> yeah, you need a heroine named Natty Ice. <laughs> you don't, though. You don't. <laughs> Leslie uh, Goldschlager. 
that's a good one. Too. Leslie Goldschlager. <laughs> yeah. Stephanie Sambuca. <laughs> All of the Chicago beers are like 312 or Goose Island, so none of those are going to be working. And then yeah. my favorite yeah. Texas beer is Shinerbach. Well, that's a great so that's last name. Work. That's Shinerbach. a name. Itself. I know that's Shiner. a perfect last Shiner name. Shiner is a great, yeah. Rebecca Shinerbach. <laughs> I think Geraldine Yingling yeah, is that's probably the best. That's, that's the really an achievement of that's this. the best one. Okay, from Aaron, not me, <laughs> another person named Aaron. <laughs> sure. Uh, she, <laughs> she said, My question is simple. What's a book that really surprised you, and how did it manage to do so? A trope that surprised you, something sexier than you imagined, etc. Um, I would like to talk about Whiteout by Adriana Anders. Um, because I feel like for me, what surprises me is when someone sets up something that I don't think can actually be made to work and they make it work. Right. And so in this case, they are like on the run from bad guys in Antarctica with like a sled a full of food. <laughs> and I was literally like, how are you going to make this work? And yet I thought it totally worked. So part of it for me is like degree of difficulty, right? Like sort of like, okay, you're going to set up something that really should not work. And then you made it work. So I would say for me, a book this year, um, and, and I think A Heart of Blood and Ashes, I think to a certain extent is very similar, does a very similar thing where I was like, no fucking way are you going to make this work? And it totally worked for me. Um, so I would say... And both of those are kind of back to my road trip romance. I don't know if this was what I said earlier. I don't know if it was on it, but one of the things I realized I really liked this year are people going going places and doing things. So being on the run in Antarctica and still finding a place to danger bang. Damn, <laughs> Thank you. Danger bangs. That's and a great trope. And it was super sexier than I would have thought. Like they, frostbite, danger of frostbite. And yet. They did it. They, they made did it. work. Banging finds a way. Always. <laughs> Have you guys read that Millivane book, A Heart of Blood and Ashes? Ugh, not Sh- yet. Should we? Oh Do we God. need to? Well, we did it. Yeah, like <laughs> we basically just screamed about it for like an hour and a half oh, on yeah. our podcast because we loved it so much. It was our. I think it was probably both of our favorite read of 2020. Absolutely. What is the quick flap on that? What is it about? It's a fantasy. It's high fantasy. Um, the heroine is um, the, comes from a matriarchal line, but she has been like hidden away. Nobody knows she exists by her terrible father and brothers, um, and her mm-hmm. after her mother died, and um, her terrible father and brothers murder the hero's parents, and he has to avenge them without like essentially he's he's basically given permission to avenge their death without killing them because of, you know, political right. fantasy reasons. And I care not a bit about fantasy romance, about fantasy ever. Like, I just can't get through it. The political like, machinations are a lot. And then, right? yeah. um, so instead of going and murdering this terrible man who killed his parents, um, he discovers that she exists and he kidnaps her on, like, the high road, like, as she's being moved to marry someone. And he kidnaps her and she's like, oh, this is great. I was hoping somebody like you would come along and, like, kidnap me because I have a plan. And then she, this is not a a spoiler, this is literally, like, page 40 of, like, (laughs) 700 pages. She, She kills her brother 
like in front of him and then uses this is where I got to the I'm getting to the thing that I would not have I'm surprised is hot but is actually hot and then uses the blood from her brother's death to give the hero a hand job and you're like <laughs> and in your head you're like this is I'm not no and then you're like wait a second yes. it's a vengeance blood hand job and I am <laughs> for it and then it goes from there, and it's completely bonkers, but yeah. absolutely tremendous, this book. It's tremendous. Wow, so I've read ads for that on Craigslist, but I didn't know that. <laughs> Never. You're like, I read that I on um, Am I the Asshole? Like, it has, we have heard from <laughs> readers that it ha- like that the, the disability rep in this book is top-notch. Yeah. Um, it is wildly feminist. Um, the hero and like talk about a hero who will crawl through fire for her at the end. Like he's desperately toxically masculine at the beginning, consumed by vengeance. And by the end, like all he wants to do is like literally crawl through fire for her. This book, it's like, do you ever see that documentary about the guy who like strings the high wire between the twin towers and walks on it? Oh yeah. Like that's what this book felt like to me. Like, I mean, I was waiting. Wait, I was like, you're going to pull that tighter, right? And you're going to put those characters on that that tightrope? Okay. But also, like, as that a writer, was there was a constant sense for me of, like, how is she going to pull this off? How is she yeah. going to pull this off? Right. And she, it yeah. is, it's flawless. Wow. I love that. I mean, yeah. we're looking for Maybe books. Read it, yeah. We're looking for yeah. books for My next... recommendation, if you are not February. a fantasy reader, because I am not a fantasy reader and neither is Jen, and I read it on an airplane, so I was, like, in a closed space like I didn't have anything else to do but read this book and my recommendation is like you have to get through like the political explanation in the first chapter and then like once you're through it's actually kind of the first two you can just like keep just read the first two and don't really pay attention and then like in three is when it really picks up but it's terrific yeah awesome what about you guys what surprised you or what you know Aaron do you want to take this so I mean, obviously, like Empreg, Strange Love was really fantastic too, uh, of an alien romance that I did not see coming because there we sort of hadn't got really affected by an alien romance, so that was really surprising. But I think the book that just really shocked me and surprised me more than anything else is um, Kennedy Ryan, the first in the Hoop series, Long Shot. Long shot. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was long shot or if that was like the second one. Long shot. I think that was in an abusive relationship to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was a book that I didn't have like crazy high expectations going in. I don't like particularly like sports. It didn't seem like something I would be that interested in. And it really like grabbed me in a way that I didn't expect. And it was, I thought it was a really beautiful book and it was really beautifully done and a subject matter that's like obviously like very, very heavy and difficult to make a romance, like difficult to make sexy, but I thought it was such a beautiful book and the characters were so alive to me. And I, and yeah, I think that's probably the book that surprised me the most as far as that I ended up really, really loving. Well, cause we're also just talking about like tropes too, right? Like a trope that, mm-hmm. that, so most of the things that I've read in romance novels and have been excited by they track i was you know i was like oh this is stuff that i'm into anyway labyrinth shaving 
Shaving, yeah. yeah. That so, sh- that shall not the be named. Voyeurism, <laughs> voyeurism. Looking I'm, at the thing from uh, the shoot book. Yeah, huge What's voyeur, and I knew that coming in. Mm-hmm. But you know, the thing that really drives me uh, wild, and especially in historicals and regency, is women in men's clothes. And like Sarah, you've done this. I mean, uh, it's not a McLean novel if she's not putting on pants. It's fine. Yeah. Exactly. And there's something because. I walk around every day and see women in pants. It is not new. <laughs> it is not crazy. But when it happens in a historical order regency, I want to hit my head against a wall <laughs> just in a frenzy of, the, I love this. I want to see this. And it's, it's crazy like okay. how the context of that uh, can can put you in a different state than you would normally be in. And I love that. I love that, like, when a woman is dressed like a man in these books, it just makes me nuts. I'm like a Tex Avery character. <laughs> which I, w- I was surprised by because it is, it's the opposite of what you would expect, which would be the undressing scene is the stuff that's mm. supposed to be erotic. But it's, you know, when I think, thinking more about uh, my reactions to these books than I do when I normally read, I think it's the power dynamic thing. Yeah. It's that... It's women as equal. Her, it's women as equal, but also... A woman who puts on pants in those books is also asserting their power in a way that is even above a man because they're saying, you know, I'm going to dress up like a man and I'm going to get one over on you, which is a power move. And I think that's where that comes in, too. It's not just the aesthetic of it, but it is also the, the power dynamic, which I think does a lot for me. I mean, I'm here for there you, Clayton. Go. I, I know. See, you're always here for me. That's, I knew that. Uh, I'm so excited for Hell's Bells. I'm so excited for Clayton's book. For Clayton's book. <laughs> you're excited for Claire and Hawk. Hawk big nuts. Fine. So, so, so what's going to be like? What's going to be like our meet? Our like? Uh, am I going to have to do a lot of interviews about this book? Am I going to have to talk about? <laughs> I'm going to have to go out with you and be like, yeah, you know, I just kind of twist her arm a little Here's bit. Here's what I've got for you. I've got two of the three in this one, and then you got to oh. give me time on the third. Two out of three ain't bad. I've got it said on that. my list. It's on my list. <laughs> That's so awesome. We'll yeah, there. well, you can't wait. We will. I mean, that's going to be such a big episode when we review this book. Oh my god! And Sarah, you no. got to come on. I mean, I'll come on, but you're not allowed to do an episode on it. Because what if you hate it? Okay. Then we, then we can't be friends anymore. Uh, I mean, I, there's no way I'm going to hate it, but not I if understand. it starts in a labyrinth. <laughs> like, I, I understand. I'm like, I have one reader who has already happy. <laughs> it's a guarantee. You got one guaranteed satisfied reader. That is a five star review is... for the first chapter alone. <laughs> Oh, 100%. So funny. All right, my friends. This yeah, was we go so this fun. This was so fun. So fun. Yeah. It's always fun. Thank you for having us. Oh, it's always fun with you guys. Maybe So we'll see you in six months, maybe? Every we six should. Months. We yes. should do it every six months. I love it. And every time we do this, we say, we have to get you both on, but we actually really do have to get you both on. For yes. Labyrinths sure. and Westerns. Yes. <laughs> I'm like I'm down. I have well, yeah, cuz my episode I'll come with a lot of westerns, but you guys are going to have to sell Clayton some labyrinths. Oh yeah, if you give me um if you don't mind, give me some books to read. You like Minotaur, you like Minotaur myth though. 
Minotaur myth, but to. but but labyrinths and hidden places. Those are those are also a thing. So I like, like hidden anything places. That you can... I feel like hidden places should be the thing. Hidden places in romance. Yeah, yeah. Hidden places. Secret trysts. Oh yeah, let, that'll be easier. Labyrinth seems yeah. like that might be really tough. Secret trysts. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I've written a few of them. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's where yeah <laughs> the the rogue not taken is where he discovered his his fetish. So mm-hmm. well, yeah, I'm here. for And there were some pants in that I'm too. Here for you, Clayton. <laughs> there were pants in that. <laughs> She's always been there for you, Clayton, even before you knew. It. I didn't even know it. <laughs> Wait, it was. What there was, was I watching the... recently? Oh, Enola Holmes. Have you guys seen oh, Enola Holmes yet? Yes, so cute. Yes, and she I keeps loved it. Bu- she keeps buying livery from servants, like clothing from <laughs> male yes. servants. Very Jack Reacher, as a it's matter of fact. It's super okay. ha- Like, I love it. She's always like, can I have you? I'll pay you five pounds for your clothes. That's cool. So funny. Yeah, really charming. So if you haven't watched Enola Holmes, it is a fucking delight. Oh, we'll yes. check it out. Yeah. It's really sweet. I loved it. Cool. Well, guys, thank you again, as always. I hope everybody has had a happy new year and a healthy and safe holiday. It's going to be 2021 when you hear this. And yes. We're ready. We're going to make it a good year. We're going to do it. It's going to be a good year. Yes. (laughs) We'll do our best. Speaking it into being. (laughs) Yes. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye, everybody.